this for history. The sisters are going to win gold together. The Olympic champions, world champions, world record holders. They defend their title and they break the world record. Well done, Australia. Two gold medals on the opening night. The winner is Sydney. Australia has won the gold medal in the women's sevens rugby. Yes, she did get it. I was lying. Pearson is the Olympic champion. What do you think we come here for? Silver? Stuff the silver, we come for the gold. This is a famous victory, a magnificent performance. What a legend. What a champion. Mesdames and messieurs, welcome to the Sitting on Your Rings podcast. I am Brendan, your host, joined by my co-host Trent. Say hello, Trent. Hello, Trent. There he is. <laughs> You might be able to tell we are back recording face to face. Exactly, yeah. Which is we we, uh, ma- we made it through. We did <laughs> so far. So so far, yeah. We're uh, they've sort of allowed things to open up a little bit more uh, in our state, and we're mm. back to being able to being, move being around a, a bit. Being back to you know look at mm. each other's pretty faces. And yeah. <laughs> mm. How's life been treating you so far? And you know, now that things are a little bit back to normal for us with COVID. Yeah. I'm going pretty good, you know. Um, the folks didn't really get out too much during all what was going on, so I was like running around doing lots of stuff for them and and helping out. And you know, at work, my circumstances changed a little bit, and mm. where I was uh, closed temporarily, and I was shifted off somewhere else. So that was a bit of adjusting. But uh, you know, as Queensland made it through and started to get a little bit better things started to open up a bit and so I moved back to where I was based so that was good mate. But one thing ha- that one thing that hasn't opened up uh since <laughs> this has all been going on is the the 2032 bid that's mm. been put on hold oh. um until further notice which I guess makes I mean it makes sense mm. like you can't really push for mm. Something of that, you know, to that scale when you that's know, right, there's the bit. money involved, but and also, you know, we don't even know what's going to happen with next year's games mm. yet. So, mm. but I think what has helped a little bit, even though you know it's not formally spoken about but acknowledged in the proper circles, is um, how well Australia had handled the you know, the coronavirus oh, yeah. pandemic here and how we dealt with it and everything, and that looked favorably upon well. How Australia can handle something like that. So no, we we have us in New Zealand. We've done pretty well, mm. sort of in this this corner of the world. So hopefully that that can work in our favour mm. and things can get back on track because mm. 2032 will still need a host. It a will. Host city. Yeah, it will. <laughs> so fingers crossed it'll be us. Um, we're continuing with our theme of uh, celebrating the 20th anniversary of Sydney 2000, and particularly carry on the theme that we we looked at our last episode, which was Olympic torches. Mm. Um, We were celebrating the 20th anniversary of the flame being lit in Olympia. Uh, You know, we did our countdown of our favourite torches and and some of the ones that we haven't liked over the years. Well, since that time, it's it's ticked over to 20 years since the flame 
landed on Australian soil, which was on the 10th of June. Was it the 10th of June? Yeah. I'm blanking. 8th of June. Yeah, I was going to say. 8th of June. 8th, 9th or 10th. Yeah, yeah, it was the 8th of June um, at Uluru. And uh, then it made its way to our state. We were the first state to host mm. it. Uh, so I, I was feeling a little bit nostalgic for that, mm. given it was the 20 years. And I um, I dug out my DVD of, of the um, Follow the Flame series. Mm. So each, for people who might not be aware, each state did it sort of progressively as the flame came to their their state where they had a show sort of every evening just before the news mm. that, you know, showed the highlights of that day and, and we were the first ones to have it, hosted by Paddy Welsh. Mm. And uh, I was, you know, watching that sort of as I, as I was working from home, I was watching every episode, you know, on the day that it happened, happened. 20 years ago. And it's so funny, like, you, it still doesn't feel like 20 years, but then watching some of the footage, it's just like, man, that... You can it looks old. old. Yeah. You can just tell by the fashions and Yeah, like it's starting to look old. Yeah. <laughs> but but keeping um, I was gonna say and like people's cameras and Oh yeah. There's no holding up mo little no mo phones. phones. No, yeah, it's God, all no. cameras. <laughs> and and like proper camera cameras yep. and like the big video cameras mm-hmm. and yeah, it's it's definitely been interesting. So I had a lot of fun looking back on that and I, I did put the call out uh, around that time or maybe a week or so before on my personal Facebook page, um, just saying, look, you know, did was there any family or, or Facebook friends who, who knew people um, who run with the flame? Because I'd love to talk to them about their experience for the podcast. And I had a few people get back to me, which was really, really cool. Uh, so today we've got three interviews for you to hear that I conducted over the weekend. Now, I, I did do the interview solo. Um, Trent with sort of work and, mm. and other circumstances, it just was a bit tricky to, to sync up schedules with the two of us, let alone, you know, three lots of people, uh, yeah. one of whom's in America mm. uh, and things like that. So it was it was just a little bit easier that way. Strategically yeah. easier mm. um, to sort of just for me to do it. Um, but so what we're going to do is we're going we, to, we've done this little intro now. I'm actually going to play the interviews in real time so Trent can hear them because you haven't heard them. No. Yet. Um, and then sort of give a little bit of a, you know, bit of a, a, a recap in between mm. each one and, and get your thoughts mm. on it. Uh, I, I was honestly expecting to get average Joes, mm. you know, um, your community runners, mm. more or less, who who carried the flame. And, and the last interview I've got for you is, is a father and son duo who actually carried the torch on the same day together. Um, and they were community runners um, selected for the community service and things they've done over the years. The other two, however, uh, our second interview will be Katie Nicholson, who is the sister of a previous Olympian um, who has sadly since passed away and the sister of a current Olympian mm. who is has been selected for Tokyo yeah. in the sport of boxing. Yeah. Um, our first interview is going to be from Paul Bird. You're going to hear from Paul Bird. Now, it's a bit of a funny story <laughs> with this one. Um one of Jess's school friends sent me a message saying, oh, my uncle carried the Olympic torch and the Paralympic torch. I'm sure he'd love to, you know, chat to you. So I'm like, okay, mm. cool. Got his details and we sort of, you know, back and forward for a little while, organising a date and everything else and that'll, that was all fine. And when I sat down to, to prep for the interviews late last week, I was like, okay, Paul Bird, you know, found him on... Um, Skype, so I made sure I had all the contact details and everything correct. And 
the photo that popped up was an old photo of an athlete. I'm like, he looks like he was an athlete. So I did a quick Google search. Yeah, Jess's friend sort of buried the lead. <laughs> Paul is, uh, and I'll, you'll hear it in the intro I give him, but he's a dual Paralympic gold medalist. Uh, he's a Paralympic silver medalist. He's had a huge impact on Paralympic sports in this country and in this you know part of the world. He was the chef de mission for the Sydney 2000 Paralympic Games, which made my mind explode, given <laughs> how you know how much we love the Sydney mm. Games and it's the 20th anniversary. Mm. Um, he was also the chef de mission in Athens. He's been um, the assistant chef de mission for previous games, and he's he's you know involved with the the Tokyo Paralympic team as well. Like he's been mm. there and seen the, the mm. sights and everything. So. I was like, you kind of buried the lead there, Jules. <laughs> you didn't <laughs> tell me your uncle That is a pretty big thing is, in our uh, world, yeah. Yeah, he didn't tell me his Paralympic royalty. So, uh, yeah, that, that's the interview I've got for you first up. So, uh, enjoy the interview that I have with Paul Bird. He represented Australia at the 1980 and 1984 Paralympics and won back-to-back gold in the men's 4x100-metre freestyle relay, as well as a silver medal in the men's 100-metre backstroke in 84. Paul has gone on to have a huge impact and career in Paralympic sport, including being the chef de mission for the Sydney 2000 Paralympic Games. Now, that's not even the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the list of accolades he has, but we're on a bit of a time limit with Paul today, and if I were to go through them all, we wouldn't have time to talk about the torch relays. And you heard me right there. I said relays, uh, plural. Paul carry the torch for both the Olympic and Paralympic Games in Sydney, and we're going to have a bit of a chat about that. Paul, welcome to the Sitting on Your Rings podcast. Yeah, thanks, Brendan. Uh, pleased to be here and, and to share some of the stories. Excellent, excellent. Like I said, you you you've got a rap sheet longer than <laughs> than, than most people, so we we'll keep a bit of that powder dry because I know we've just talked a little bit off air, but we're we're going to have you back on, you know, a bit closer to the. Uh, to the anniversary of the Sydney 2000 Paralympic Games to talk about your role as chef de mission. So as much as I'd love to talk to you for hours today, we will keep it torch specific. Um, now, because you carried both torches, when I'll, you know, I'll ask you a few questions and stuff and if you can sort of maybe cover the, the Olympic torch relay first and then the Paralympic will go sort of in chronological order. Um, so where did you run with with both torches was it in the same place or were you separate locations and and do you remember the dates that you ran um actually i uh, just thinking about it uh driving up this morning i thought i've got both torches um in frames uh at home <laughs> uh with photos and actually a plaque on the indicating the exact date and the, and the leg number but do you think that i uh, thought about doing that and <laughs> telling you but all i can say <laughs> brendan is is that um yeah both took both um Torches were run separately. The Olympic torch, I ran uh, a leg um, in Southport on the Gold Coast. Oh, nice. Uh, because that's where I live and I think that's um, – I was uh, extremely fortunate, I think, to be given the opportunity, you know, to, to do that in my hometown. Yeah. Um, and so the leg was run there and – Look, I, I have a feeling it was done somewhere in June. Um, I was just thinking, I was actually just looking at the calendar because if my memory serves, 
because I because I I grew up in Toowoomba and it was in Toowoomba on the eleventh uh, and twelfth. So if my memory serves, I think it was on the Gold Coast on the might have even been the thirteenth or fourteenth. Okay. So it's pretty close to bang on twenty years ago. Yeah. Okay. So so that's when that one was done. Um, and you know I I joined. Gee, a long list of people that obviously, you know, um, were part of the the, the Gold Coast uh, segment of of the runs, and then the Paralympic torch. Um, I ran that in Sydney. Yeah. Um, and that was just, I think it was the day before the game started. Nice. And I had leg, and I'm just trying to think. I think my leg, I, I did somewhere out. Um, I couldn't even tell you the suburb actually, but I know that I was driven out from the games village. They picked me up and took me out uh, to do the leg, which I was really pleased. To have that opportunity to do both, it, was, it is quite unique. I think I, I know there are other uh, Paralympians that had that opportunity mm-hmm. uh, that did Olympic and Paralympic legs, but no, it, it's it certainly still sits with me. And um, every time I walk into my living room and I see the torches, it reminds me of it. <laughs> well, you've actually crossed off another one of my questions because I was going to ask, did you keep both torches, and if so, where are they today? So it's good to see that they, you know, they take pride of place in your living room. And well, uh, yeah, no, they they're both. Each one has been framed with the shirt because we had a unique oh, shirt yeah. to wear. So the shirt, the photo of, of you know, the actual, uh, the official photo that was taken with you carrying the, the torch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a plaque done which indicated, you know, the leg, the the place, the time, you know, the time, etc. So, no, they, they are unique but a very play- – they have a very special place in my heart. That's amazing. We the last episode Trent and I did was talking about our our favourite torches and and everything. And you know we we discounted the Sydney torch because we if we were to do a countdown we both would have picked it as as number one because it's a gorgeous looking torch. But I have to say too the the Sydney two thousand Paralympic torch is also one of my favourites. It's the colours and it's sort of you know. Uh, a physical representation of the logo for the games. I think it's a, it's a beautiful torch, and I don't think it gets yeah. as much um, recognition as it should because it was yeah it was it was gorgeous. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and they're both unique and both different, and and it's interesting because um, I don't think you know uh, friends and and just you know visitors and people that will come in and out that over the years you know they'll say oh oh was there an, a Paralympic torch as well because they don't. They don't generally – it wouldn't have got, obviously, the publicity that the Olympic run did mm. because the Olympic torch went all around the country. The Paralympic torch didn't do that. The Paralympic yeah. torch only did um, – in my memory serves correctly, it mainly did around the Sydney area. You know, Pretty uh, it much may have, memory as well, yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, with both of them, um, um, it is good to be able to say, well, hey, wait, I'll have it. Check this out because there is an Olympic torch and generally they will do an Olympic torch run for each Paralympic Games. Yeah. Now, we, I, I guess with the Paralympics being um, chef de mission, <laughs> your your leg in the relay would have been cemented pretty early. Um, d- d- was there still a nomination process? Did, like, you know, particularly even for the Olympic torch relay, or were you kind of a given? Were you told you were um, going to run or did people nominate you? Know what, you or? I, I, I can't remember that. I know that obviously with the Olympic one, yes, you know, we had to apply uh, like everyone and it was, you know um, – a selection process that you went through, but I think you're right. I think the Paralympic one, I think I was asked, uh, would I like to participate? Mm-hmm. And um, and then because of the role I had, I'm assuming, yeah, that's that's the reason why I got that gig. Uh, but it's certainly the Olympic one, you had to go through the process like everyone else did to to gain a spot in it. 
Okay, excellent. Now, I, I remember watching a lot of footage around the torture relay time and, and, you know, watching the Follow the Flame specials and everything. And, and there, were, there was always footage of, of people, you know, doing their, their training regime. So did, did you do any training for, you know, physical exercise to get ready for your legs? Because they usually a couple of hundred metres. So did you, yeah, did you do I'm, any training for them? <laughs> no, not, no not, not really. I mean, I'm... I'm uh, a blowny, a blowny amp, and um, yeah. all I knew was I, I can't run, but I could probably jog and 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 trot, and I think that's all I did. I you know walked and jogged and and whatever. So no, if it was in the pool, I could have swum that swam it and swam it well, <laughs> but uh, you know no, I took my time. But no, there was no from a physical point of view, uh, I didn't do any preparation for it. Excellent, because I I remember seeing you know footage of people running around with with uh, you know like. Full of uh, coke bottles, full of water, yes. and training for their run. It was, it was, the images no. that always stick with me. I didn't go to that a bit of a chuckle. Uh, Brendan. <laughs> now, look, I, I know it's been twenty years, um, so it might stretch the memory a little bit. But can can you talk us through both days where you carried the torch and like what what the feeling was like? And do you remember even you know who passed it to you and and who you passed it on to on on both occasions? No, to be honest, I I don't. I'd have to go back and have a look at the photos on who it was. But I, all I remember is yes, it was a big day, and and I think um, because the Olympic one was first, and there was just such the hype, you know, yeah. about about the games coming and and Queensland whatever. was early too. Like we were, we were yeah. really we were the first state that got torch fever. Yeah, um, exactly. We kind and of set the standard for the rest of the country to follow after that because. Yeah. There was a lot of, I mean, I, I'm sure the listeners will remember and you would as well, there was a lot of negative press leading up to the torch coming to Australia, particularly with the, you know, the Kevin Gosper fiasco and everything. But, uh, you know, it landed in Uluru, which was beautiful and everything, but it really wasn't until that couple of days later and it started going through Queensland yeah. that, that torch fever and, and even to, to a great extent, Olympic fever really hit Australia and the negative press went away and it was all excitement and, and you were there right at ground zero at, in, in the first couple of days of that. So it would have been a, a great feeling, yeah. I imagine. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just the, the whole process of, you know, okay, you, you got the nod to say you're in mm -hmm. and then, you know, we as time went on, all of a sudden I think um, you got your, your um, uh, shirt to wear, you know, so that came in the post and, you know, the, the leg that you had to run and the instructions of what you had to do. So that kind of built the excitement around, oh, gee, you know, what are we going to do? And I think I think the other thing was then watching it um, on the on the TV as it started and watching what others were doing because you're thinking, well, what do I have to do? How do I have to do this? And there was the process of, you know, being able to, you know, stop and then transfer it to the next person and you're worried about wow, you know, is it going to go out? Um, what happens if that's the case or <laughs> if something goes wrong? So I think all that your preparation was about watching what was going on before you. And then I think I think the day before, uh, I remember sitting watching it on the TV and thinking, my God, I'm next, I mean, I'm, I'm up next day. Yeah. Um, that looks great. And I think the, that excitement created, you know, I suppose the atmosphere for everyone because then, we were then dropped off at a, you know, I had to um, attend, I remember being dropped off and had to meet at a certain place. We were then all uh, put together and you met the other group in your your legs, you know, so each each segment had maybe, I, I can't remember, eight or nine runners or ten runners it might have been. So you met with them, you were taken in a bus, so we all joined the bus together, so you had, you got yourself changed and 
into the into your um, you know torch gear. Uh, we all boarded this little bus and then we were taken down and then dropped off at you know our little area where we had to wait. And and I remember, you know, being, you know, walked down to there, my spot was there and and all the crowds. So everything was, you know, um, barriers were all down the street. People were all lined up there and everyone wanted to say hello to you. You know, you had oh, no the idea. Torch who they, were. Was, they were superstars. The to- yeah, all the torch it didn't matter who they were, everyone exactly. wanted to get a piece and, of them. And yeah. I think that was all part of it. You're thinking, wow, they I'm getting a big cheer, but no one has any idea who I am or what you are because there was no announcement. It was just yeah. you were there. And then, um, um, you know, so I think that kind of just built the adrenaline and whatever as you were waiting. And, and um, all of a sudden then you're told, right, oh, get yourself ready. And you're standing there. Then coming into view is the next is the person before you and and the um, all the TV crew and the, the car, the truck that was coming, you know, in front. Um, and then the handover and away you went. And I can still remember, you know, doing the handover, looking around and people cheering and clapping. You think, my God, I've, yeah. all I'm doing is carrying this torch. But it just meant so much to so many people. It did. Um, I mean, so I... it was, it was a, you know, a, a, a tremendous day um, that, and I remember looking around and uh, because at the time I was a school principal, I had um, families, parents uh, that came along to watch me do my leg, mm-hmm. uh, kids that you taught, you know, so plus family as well. So you had, you know, you had your school community or there were members of my school community there and congratulating you and, and you know, and you just, I don't think at the time you realised, I didn't realise just how significant it was that, you know, I think many, many people would have loved to have done this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to be to be given yep. that opportunity, uh, yeah, it was something special. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and the Gold Coast had really good weather too, because <laughs> when it went ran through my hometown a couple of days prior, it was. I mean, I don't know if, if you know what the weather in Toowoomba is like, but it, that yes. time of the year it's, it's very cold. Uh, yeah. But it was also extremely wet both days. And 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 I I unfortunately I was meant to be going to the uh, to the because it stayed overnight in Toowoomba. I was going to go to yes. the, the celebration and everything. But my my younger there's ten years between myself and my younger brother, and uh, so he was only six at the time. So mum and dad didn't want to take him out in the cold and the wet. And then family friends were gonna they were gonna go, so they were gonna take me. And then they pulled out because it was so cold and wet. And I, I remember cracking the absolute, you know what? <laughs> <Because> <laughs> I, I, I was sixteen, and at that stage, you know, I'd waited virtually half my life. For this for the Sydney Olympics, give or take a couple of months, it was it was half my life yeah. waiting for it to happen, and I was so angry that I was it was looking like I wasn't going to go and see the torch, and I I cracked cracked an absolute key and said to my parents, you know, well, fine, tomorrow morning at four o'clock because it was it was leaving from the town hall, I think around five thirty six in the morning, yeah. I was like, I'm going to ride my bike down to the town hall and I'll see it off there, and then yeah. then Dad came into my room, he's like, what? what do you want to do? And I'm like, I just want to see it. I'm like, this is history. I don't I don't need to go to the celebration. I don't specifically need to go to town hall. I just need to see it. There's no yeah. way I'm missing this. And, and you know, he got me in the car and we drove a couple of minutes from home and, and just got to stand on the side of the road and watch it go past. But even that, that couple of seconds of just seeing it go past, you know, in the freezing cold and the pouring down rain, you couldn't help but feel you'd witnessed history. And, oh, absolutely, and and that's just from a spectator's point of view. So I yeah. could only imagine, well, I, I can't imagine to be honest how it felt, you know, 
to, to carry it and, and and then again to do it you know a couple of months later in Sydney for the Paralympic Games yeah. was it was it a different experience because I yeah so well I, I think I, I I would have to say the I think I was more excited um, maybe because it was the initial one and it was in your hometown mm-hmm. uh, carrying the Olympic torch I, I you know it's it's not being you know um, I'm not uh, being negative about that, it was a great experience oh, having the Paralympic one as well. But I think maybe because the Olympic one came first, it was the first mm-hmm. experience, and I knew then what to feel. And I remember um, again going down, you know, and getting ready for the Paralympic one. Um, it maybe it was because it was in a different environment, it wasn't my environment, um, it wasn't my hometown, but still, it was just fabulous. And I got a an incredible reception because I think. There was an announcement that uh, you know uh, I was the Shepter mission of the the Australian team as well, mm-hmm. and so that kind of you know that created a, a different atmosphere, I suppose. Whereas in 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 the Gold Coast, you were just you were one of the community members, you know, being there as part of it, and it was just an incredible experience. So I think it was a different a different uh, feeling, but tremendous feeling as well. Excellent, because I mean, I could I could imagine I. <laughs> Going back to 2000, I know that the, the Paralympic Games got a hell of a lot of coverage here in Australia, like thanks yes. to the ABC. They, they did a great job televising them. Um, but, I mean, even in, in the 20 years, Paralympic coverage has grown a hell yes. of a lot. I mean, Rio, Channel 7, the main Olympic broadcaster, they, they broadcast the Paralympic Games and, and gave a, a hell of a lot of attention to it, which is, which is well-deserved. But I, I know it didn't have the same impact nationally, as, as the Olympics, obviously, back in 2000. However, from what I remember at the time and, and, and looking back and reading things, I know Sydney really embraced the Games because yes. they didn't want to let the Olympic flame go. You yeah. know, that, that Olympic festival, it, it, it was so amazing and they, they embraced the Paralympic Games as a way of going, well, hang on, we can extend this for another month. Yeah, <laughs> and, they and, really and I got, think, yeah, I, they really I agree got with behind you, it. Yeah. Oh, no, I agree. The... The, um, uh, we were just amazed because it was the first time uh, ticket sales had gone um, at all uh, to, to the level that they had because prior to that, the previous games in Atlanta were, were a disaster for us, really. Sure. Um, and then prior to that, again, um, uh, Barcelona, uh, yeah, 92 Barcelona, uh, that was the first time that actually crowds that, in my experience, for the games had actually come along and paid tickets and wanted to wanted to see para sport mm-hmm. so between barcelona was the standout for me up to that point and i remember you know once we had a well post torch relay uh, i think everything that was about sydney it was from the volunteers so all the volunteers who were managing it uh, virtually every volunteer that we talked to they'd all done the, the generally they'd all done the sydney the olympic games and wanted mm-hmm. to stay on because as you said the experience, the euphoria, the they didn't want the you know the party to stop, and generally most of them would say they enjoyed the Paralympics more than the Olympics because they felt there there was such a difference. Even though, yes, the the sport is different and it was unique and understanding you know the different sport, but it was the feeling, the camaraderie, uh, the natural. Um, I, I suppose the, the the feeling is that from a parasport point of view the athletes are athletes they they're down to earth they're approachable they're accessible whereas the the difference with the the olympic athletes is slightly different they're more professional they're highly paid and some of them 
They're very, you know, they're closeted. They're, you know, they're in a different, a different, um, I suppose, uh, accessibility. And I think the generally the volunteers would say to us, we can't access or we couldn't access, you know, go up and shake hands with, say, a, I don't know, a Usain Bolt, say, for example, whereas yeah. we could do that with your power athletes and that was fabulous. So I think there is a difference from that point of view, but Sydney did embrace it. Uh, there was more than a million tickets sold during the Games, mm-hmm. uh, which was like a world first. And Sydney then became the benchmark, you know, for future Paralympic Games going forward in just the way it was created, the atmosphere, the volunteers, the the people prepared to pay and watch para sport. And, and it, it had it set the benchmark and probably you'd have to say that London probably passed it, uh, yeah. but it still is a benchmark and is there to see. And I would assume that if things had gone to according to plan and let's hope next year it does, Tokyo will pass it again. You well, know? I was just so, about to say, touch wood if things go to plan with Tokyo, because I know already their their tickets are, are going through the roof yes. in terms of the Paralympics, which is amazing. Oh, yeah, there's huge... There's huge support for it uh, in Tokyo in, in the meetings I've had there and the visits I've had in the lead up. It it will be tremendous and, and because they're just so efficient and so effective and such a warm country, uh, they will embrace it, embrace it very well. well fingers crossed we're all all hoping to God that yes. it goes ahead. But let, let's cut to September 15th, so the night yep. of the, the Sydney 2000 opening ceremony. Were you in yes. Sydney or were you still in Queensland at that stage? For the Olympics or Paralympics? Yeah, for the Olympics. Oh, for the Olympics? No, no, I was in I was in uh, Gold Coast. Still in the Gold Coast, so um, I was what, there. Yeah, go on. What, watching the opening ceremony for the Sydney for for the Olympic Games and seeing Kathy yes. light the cauldron. Yes. H- how did it feel at that moment where you know you you had a small part in in helping it get there? Did it did it have a more of a special feeling to you than? And say the rest of the country, knowing that you you oh, carried that flame and you're seeing the culmination. Yes, I th- well, yeah, absolutely, because I think I think in all in you know right going right back to uh, you know 1980, I suppose, and when I first became part of you know the opportunity to go to a Paralympic Games, I think each each time in the lead up, we we always say and we always have said this, I suppose that we see the Olympic Games as the warm up event for the Paralympic Games. <laughs> yeah, and um, so. You know that this is the trial event, and and so I think by sitting and watching it, all you can think in the back of your mind is that, you know, in three weeks' time or four weeks' time, we're going to be there, we're going to be doing exactly this, and we'll be experiencing the same thing. So it's more about that anticipation of wow, look at this, look what's happening here when the flame was being lit and Kathy was doing the thing and the flame was, you know, the the cauldron was rising and all those things. All you could think about in I know for me was. I'm going to be there in three or four weeks' time uh, watching this for the Paralympic Games and, well, you know, I, I can't wait. So I think, yeah, it, again, it's a different feeling, I think, that probably, you know, a, a para-athlete looking at, you know, uh, this as the pre-event because they're going to be there in a couple of weeks' time. I think it had more, it has much um, a more special, um, you know, uh, outcome, I suppose, for you. Yeah. Or anticipation for you, but no, you know. Um, but watching that, I, to come back to your point, yes, it it was fabulous, and all I could think about is, wow, you know, what a what a great outcome. There's the culmination, but this is only the beginning because ours will be coming soon. Mm. 
Mm. Well, we'll cut to, you know, a month's time. And obviously, you know, being the chef de mission, you were in the stadium yes. um, for, for the Paralympic opening ceremony. So, so how was the feeling seeing Louis Sauvage light that cauldron? I mean, obviously you carried the flame, so you'd still have that, that feeling of I helped yeah. to get here. But being the chef de mission of the Australian team in Stadium Australia for the, you know, for the Sydney 2000 Paralympic Games, watching that flame ignite, you know, for those games. How did that feel? I mean, oh, being the chef yeah. of mission, I only imagine it was amazing. Yeah, well, uh, you know, the, I knew Louise very well and had worked, you know, worked with her over a number of years, you know, so I had a good relationship with her and, and I suppose all the, all the torchbearers, you know, in that lead up in the final ones where we had some of our top athletes and former athletes carry the flame. So... I was also probably privileged to know that she was the one that was going to light the flame. Because at the time, I mean, she was probably the, the you hate to say, the only well-known Paralympic athlete in the country. Yes. I mean, her profile was was extremely big for, for a para-athlete at the time. Yeah. You know, now we've got like, you know, Dylan Alcott and a lot yes. of others who, who are very well-known. But at the time, Louise Savage was kind of it in terms oh, of, you know, public notoriety. Yeah, she was an icon and there was a lot of expectation, you know, put on her. Uh, and that was always, I think, a concern in the, you know, in the selection process of, you know, when they are looking at who was going to call, uh, carry the flame about, you know, how the expectation, same with Cathy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, how's that going to, how's she going to handle that, the pressure of that plus then perform. So, um, but look, you know, Louise was the, the perfect choice. And... Um, to see them come in, you know, to the the final, the, the way that took place, and then to see her light the flame, yes, it was a, it was a great outcome for us, and um, I think our team there, we had a very very, it was the biggest team that we've ever had um, uh, for a Paralympic Games, and probably will be for many years to come because, for a home, home games, home games, yeah, home <laughs> games, you've got you've got every sport and every outcome, so. We had nearly, I think we had a team just over 400, um, and I think to a to a person, um, she, you know, she was held in high regard, and and it was a great experience to be in the cauldron and to see that. Yeah, I actually I rewatched the the footage of that yesterday afternoon. I, I jumped oh, okay. on the, the Paralympic opening ceremony and watched the the torch relay part just because I hadn't seen it in a couple of years. So yes. Yeah, and I, I will say too, and I, I think I might have said this on the show previously, but in terms of um, the a closing ceremony and the flame being extinguished, I think that the Paralympic Games did a far better job than the Olympic Games in terms of extinguishing the flame in Sydney. I loved that, the moment where, you know, they kind of just had the lasers pointing yeah. up towards the cauldron and there was that sort of, that oh, I can't even sort of describe the music. It was like a real had a real atmosphere to it and the flame there was the stadium was in complete silence and the flame just got lower and lower and yeah. lower and lower and i don't know if you can remember like watching on tv it was it was the perfect ending because right as it flickered out someone in the crowd screamed at the top of their lungs aussie 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 and the oi 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 went around the stadium as the flame extinguished and it was just perfect i mean not just for the paralympic games but for the whole olympic festival in 2000 yeah. for the flame to go out in that way and have that chant go up it was amazing it was such yeah. a good such a good ending actually i need to go back and have a look at that because i can't remember the the Aussie 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 chant but i can remember the flame going out and 
And, you know, you're right. I, I think that was it, it, that was the end of, of the festival. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how we always saw that, that it was, you know, the, an Olympic Paralympic festival. Prior to that, you know, go back to four years before, there was nothing like that in Atlanta. Uh, there was not the feeling that was, you know, we had and we worked extremely hard between Atlanta and Sydney, particularly for our own team, to just to make sure that we had the opportunity to influence, you know, how how this was going to happen and, and the experience for our athletes because it yeah. wasn't the experience that they had experienced. It, you know, it was a, you know, uh, it wasn't a good experience in Atlanta from from that whole that whole spectacle point of view. So I think you know it certainly did work well. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it was just the Paralympics that weren't. No, no, <laughs> that I weren't, that weren't that, the, the best in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. Paul, th- thanks so much for your time. Like I said, I know you've got places to be today, and you've got you know family, birthday, and everything. So I do really appreciate you taking the time to chat to us. And uh, like I said before, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll we'll talk to you, and Trent and I will be able to sit down to in, per- in, in person and and talk about your role, you know, further yeah. in general, but also about the the t- two thousand Paralympics with the uh, with the anniversary coming up yeah no look more than happy brendan just let me know and um um you know any any information there more than happy to to help out and you know if it if it uh, provides that you know spark for someone too you know uh, we're always looking for our future paralympians obviously and mm-hmm. you know it, it's great to be able to talk about it and um you know at some stage maybe provide an opportunity for a you know, a young guy, a girl that um, is looking, you know, has that opportunity to, to move yeah. forward and and make something of their life, which would be great. Excellent. Well, mate, thank you so much. I will let you go and you enjoy the rest of your Saturday with your family and yeah. thanks for joining us on the podcast. Uh, great. And, and good luck with the podcast and I look forward to listening to it, actually. Cheers. Okay. Good, Brandon. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. there you have it that was my interview with paul bird what did you think i really enjoyed that actually thank you very much for coming on the show paul yeah a lot of great insights yeah absolutely and i I know you're probably thinking the same as me like i can't wait to sit down with him and really pick his brain more (laughs) about about you know the sydney experience and you know being Mm. chef the mission it's it's going to be very interesting i think and it would be a great way for us to celebrate the 20th anniversary Mm. of that event as well yeah indeed as like just listening to his interview intently and stuff and him talking about, um, you know, the Olympic fever that was going on in there and what, cause you know, being there and seeing it happen, picturing in my mind exactly that's what it was like down yeah. there. Like everyone trying to get hold of any bit of Olympic fever that they po- that they possibly could tickets, you know, watching the live events where they were free to watch like the sailing or triathlon or that kind of stuff. So just mm. in my mind, just picturing him like, and then the excitement of people running with the flame and you're right, the crowds coming out to watch it in my street. I remember when it went past uh, the Olympic flame went past crowds all the way down the street. You couldn't like not see crowds yeah. down the street on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was yeah such a great time in, in the country and, you know, particularly, you know, said with Queensland sort of getting it first mm. I think first bite of the cherry was always um, pretty cool and pretty special because it uh, you know it just landed and so there was the hype was there and then we got it first so it was a it was a really really <laughs> cool time and still 
can't believe it was 20 years ago. But uh, yeah, look, thanks again, Paul. It was it was great to have you on, and we can't wait to to talk to you again in the future. Uh, next up is my interview with Katie Nicholson. Uh, like I said, she's the sibling of a, a previous um, Australian Olympic athlete and a future Australian mm. Olympic athlete. So uh, let's have a listen to see what uh, Katie has to say right now. Yes, we'll carry the flame. Okay, now I am joined by Kay Nicholson, all the way from America, who has um, a very long and checkered story when it comes to Olympic Games and a um, very, very talented family when it comes to the sport of boxing. Uh, so we're we're going to talk, you know, a little bit of a little bit of boxing, a little bit about her family, um, but obviously we're going to focus on. Uh, her time with the Olympic Flame in 2000. So, Katie, welcome uh, to the Sitting on Your Rings podcast. Thanks for having me. It's uh, currently, it's 20 to 12 on a Saturday morning at the time of recording. What time is it where you are? You're in Wyoming, aren't you? So, I'm in Wyoming and it's 7.40 p.m. on okay. Friday. So, it's not so too we're behind late. you. Yeah. yeah. That's not too bad. <laughs> Normally with some of my other, um, like I have a pop culture podcast and trying to time recordings for that, it can be a bit, <laughs> bit hectic, you know, recording you know, mm-hmm. late, either early in the morning, my time, like four or five o'clock, or it's, you know, getting close to midnight for them. So scheduling is, I've always said, it's the kryptonite of any podcaster, but I'm glad we can make this work. Yeah. And thank you for reaching out. So look, your circumstances for running with the torch, you know, there's no, there's no, you can't really avoid it. They are quite tragic. Um, your two brothers were killed in a car accident in 94. Um, one of whom was Jamie Nicholson, and and Jamie represented Australia in boxing at the Barcelona Games. Um, so tell us a little bit about Jamie, what you remember about him participating in '92, and also about your other brother Gavin, who was who was also a boxer. Okay, so Jamie was um, a little bit older than me, so I don't remember him particularly going to the Olympics in '92 as such. Uh, I remember him always travelling for boxing and. Mm-hmm doing uh, lots of that. Gavin was much closer in age to me. There was only three years between us. Okay. Uh, he was 10 when they passed away and Jamie was 22. So I was only seven at the time, but I right. do remember them quite well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, so obviously, you know, you, you ran the torch for your brother. So do, do you remember how the nomination came about? Like w- did someone nominate mm-hmm. you or... Um, was it kind of, did someone approach you because obviously of what had happened to your brother who was an Olympian? Do, do you remember the process and was it a surprise to you or were you, are you aware that you were nominated? I actually remember it quite clearly sitting at the dinner table with my parents and my oldest brother, Alan, at the time. And we were just talking about it. Nominations were opening up and they were aware that Jamie would have automatically run with the torch being an Olympian himself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the fact that he had passed away, we kind of took the approach that, well, I would do it in memory of him. And that was our application to do it. And of course it was accepted and it was a very special time uh, being able to do that for him. Yeah. I could imagine it would have been, yeah, a very, very emotional time. Do you, Mm -hmm. do you remember, um, did you do any uh, training to prepare for it? Like I, the, um, when I was talking to Paul Bird earlier today, we were talking about how 
I remember seeing footage in 2000 of, you know, people running with, with you know, Coke bottles filled with water and stuff to prepare for their run. Did you do any, any physical activity to prepare for that couple of hundred metres that you had to run? I really didn't. Um, <laughs> I was 13 and a lot of people asked me that and I was like, well, no, it was only 500 metres. You know, it wasn't anything that I felt like it. And at 13 you've got energy to burn, don't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. And, and do you remember um, like the date and the location that you ran with the torch? I do. That's funny. I never even thought to, to go back and check. It was June 12, 2000 and it was through Beanley, so our local area where Jamie was most well known. Right. Um, I even remember where I started and where I finished <laughs> on Beanley Bow Desert Road and it was near, at the time, it was a health fitness club called HealthWorks. I'm not sure. I haven't been there for a while if it's still there or not. Up till almost T-Bro's um, Meatworks. <laughs> so <laughs> Actually, um, that was so where I did my leg. <laughs> June 12th. So I, I, um, I grew up in Toowoomba. Uh, and okay. I, we had the torch in Toowoomba on the 10th and the 11th. So, so you carried oh, okay. it very close um, to, you know, to when it passed through my town and I got to see it. But I, I was, again, I was saying oh, to Paul, it, it was, we were lucky in Queensland because we, we had the torch first. I mean, it arrived in Uluru, mm -hmm. but then it, it came to Queensland first. So we were the ones that really experienced torch fever and I think we set the the standard for the rest of the country to follow with what be, you know what started as torch fever, but I think overall became Olympic fever. And it was in the seven years lead up to the games. It was the first time that I recall because I was three years older than you in two thousand. I was sixteen. Um, I recall mm -hmm. there being genuine excitement, like all the all the controversies mm -hmm. had stopped and people were really excited, and it was. It was the flame and the torch relay that, that sort of allowed that to happen. So, yeah, I could imagine mm -hmm. being able to carry it, you know, so early in the piece would have been would have been really exciting. Um, and there was a great buzz on the day. Actually, there was a lot of people, and that it was a really wonderful atmosphere. I forgot to mention, every uh, torch bearer had I can't quite remember what the name was, but like an assistant that would run alongside you yeah yeah and, there was usually one uh, or two yeah yeah and the mine i actually knew him he went to school briefly with gavin okay jack pincott and yeah they went to school together and it was just coincidental and that just was an extra you know the bonus that he was with me when i was running and i got him to have a go at holding the torch as well and um, yeah, that was really special running together doing that as well. That's awesome. It, it's often like I've often yeah. thought for the um, the support runners, it, it's a it must have been a weird feeling because you're so close to it, but you're also <laughs> not carrying the torch. And I guess it was up to the kindness of the person carrying it to hand it mm -hmm. over to you because and you you know I'd see heaps of footage of of people like yourself handing it over. But then there's, mm -hmm. as I'm watching it, there's that part of me that's going, but you've only got it for such a short time. <laughs> yeah. it, it'd be hard to let go of. And you sort of, you'd give them a couple of seconds, like, okay, give it back, give it back. <laughs> yeah. I think I was probably more worried about taking it back and dropping it or <laughs> tripping. <laughs> oh, look, I'm, you know, they, they had, uh, they had, they seemed to have everything planned out for sort of every, mm -hmm. you know, any possible situation that could have happened. They seemed to be all over it. So, so the mood on the day was one of excitement. Now, 
I, I know it's been 20 years, <laughs> um, but yeah. can you talk us through the actual run and sort of, you know, any details that you can think of and do, do you know or do you remember who handed it to you and do you remember who you handed it off to? Like talk us through, <sighs> for, you know, the day um, essentially, what, what it was like and everything that happened. I remember um, there was the bus that would take the runners and the support runners and drop them off at their location. So they were like part of the entourage at the front. Mm -hmm. I remember that much, quite particularly. My parents left me there and then they scooted off to meet me at the end of my my leg of the uh, relay. So I just remember going on the bus and sitting with the other runners. It was kind of quiet on the bus, but driving through the crowds and everyone's waving and cheering. And I remember that quite clearly. Unfortunately, I do not remember who passed it to me okay. or who I passed it on to. My parents might be better with that information, but no, I don't. I just remember, yeah, having lots of family and friends knowing exactly where I was going to be running. Mm-hmm. A lot of people from the boxing community, they were all there and uh, there to greet me at the end of my leg as well. So I remember that quite clearly and it was very emotional for everybody and that was nice. And then after that, they had a a barbecue to kind of just celebrate with the, the local runners and, and support runners too. So that was nice. Excellent. We will, we will come to her um, t- later on, but um, your younger sister, Sky, was, was she there on the day? Was she at the end with your parents to, to greet you at the end of your run? Yeah, she would have been all of mm, four years old, so I doubt she remembers <laughs> anything. But yeah, she would she would have been there. <laughs> and, and she was there for sure. How how were the emotions on the day for the Nicholson family? Because as I said, it you know it it was it was a very tragic reason that enabled you to carry the mm-hmm. torch, but also the day would have been really exciting. And like I said, Olympic fever had really hit, so I, I'm, I'm sure it would have been mixed emotions. Can you, can you remember sort of how it was in in the family? It really was mixed. Um, it was very exciting, um, emotional because of, you know, the reasons behind it. Mm-hmm. But I think there was a lot of pride as well that, you know, I managed to, to get accepted to do that. And, um, you know, I think I did my family proud on that day. And, and it was all just lots of mixed emotions. But for sure, excitement and a roller coaster, I suppose, on that day. <laughs> yeah. Did, did, you, um, did you keep the torch? I did. And, and, and where um, is it today? Where, like, do you have it prior to place where you are in America <laughs> or is it in the family home here in Australia? No, or? it's in the family home, although I claim it to be mine. My parents <laughs> claim it to be theirs. Uh, so it's my sister Sky. She has what I call um, the Hall of Fame in our house, which is just a <laughs> tribute to her with all of her trophies and things. Jamie has one as well. But in her room, um, it's on display there. It still has the original gas bottle inside. Um, There's some signatures of the Olympic boxing team for 2004. Yeah. Uh, They all signed it. We got them to sign it um, in 2000, I believe. And my parents actually presented to me on my 21st birthday my uniform um, and photographs in a in a boxed frame. So oh, it's all amazing. on display at my parents' house. Yeah, oh, I can send you some really pictures nice. if you like. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. And if you've got any photos of the run that you can send through, like I'd, I'd love to mm-hmm. have a look. That'd be fantastic. We can post them on our social media yeah. pages. Um, so 
for sure. Cutting to the 15th of September, which was the night of the opening ceremony for, for 2000. I'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. you watched it as long, you know, as, as well as everybody else in the country. When mm-hmm. when Kathy got the torch and, and, you know, lit the cauldron, how did it feel? Did it feel special knowing that you played a part in getting it there into her hands on the night? Yeah, that is actually pretty cool. Um, I'm not sure if I thought too much about it at the time, but now that you mention it, it, it that is pretty cool that I was part of that. <laughs> <laughs> I think once my part was done, you know, a typical teenager was like, oh, I'm done. You know, I did my bit. <laughs> yeah. It's just funny because, like I said, I was I was a teenager at the time as well, and I uh, uh-huh. I followed that thing hardcore. Like I, I mean, mm-hmm. similar to you actually, because you know you were thirteen, um, I was mm-hmm. sixteen. Like we'd waited half our lives for the Sydney Olympics. I mean, I was seven mm-hmm. when they were announced. You would have been what four? Yeah. So I mean, yep. for people our age, it was like it was it was such a long time coming. And, and when mm-hmm. you're that age too, you know, seven to ten years feels like an eternity, whereas when you're our age now, they, it goes like that, which is scary. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it, is, it was such a big deal and such a long time coming and, and, and to be a part of it, I can only imagine how special it would have felt. I mean, as, as just a spectator, it – and this is the other thing too, it, it didn't feel like Sydney's games. It felt like Australia's games. It wasn't just Sydney that was mm-hmm. celebrating. It was, it was the entire country and I think the Torch Relay – well, I believe the Torch Relay had a huge part to play in that as well. Did Did you go to the games at all? No, no, we didn't. Um, I'm not completely sure why we didn't. Um, <laughs> I know they weren't cheap. No. <laughs> I, I guess it's probably part of it for sure. Yeah, and I guess, you know, you had, your parents had a young family to look after and everything as well. Yeah. So, I mean, do you remember, again, you know, you're a teenager and it was it was 20 years ago. Do you remember watching the games and do you have an overall highlight from from the Sydney Olympics? My parents would probably disown me, but it wasn't boxing, that's for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> I probably was enjoying watching things like gymnastics. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, we would we would have watched quite a lot of the, the sports and followed it at the time for sure. Excellent, which is good to hear. It's no secret to listeners to the show. My my favourite uh, memory of the the Olympics, actually my favourite sporting memory ever, was the the men's four by one hundred relay where where Sydney, um, Australia beat America for the first time and, and broke the world oh, record. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> now I mentioned your sister before, um, and your family's Olympic journey is far from over. Um, your younger mm-hmm. sister Sky, who was born I think in ninety five. Um, yeah, 95. She's followed in the footsteps of her older brother and taken up boxing. Um, mm-hmm. She won gold at the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games two years ago in the women's featherweight. Um, and she has been selected for the Tokyo team, which was supposed to be, you know, the, the Tokyo Olympics were meant mm-hmm. to be happening in just over Coming a month's up. time, yeah. Um, do you know how her training's going and, and how sort of the whole COVID and ISO things had an impact? And, and sort of how are you and the family and, and Sky feeling about the games in general, I mean, obviously they've they've given the dates for 12 months' time, but, you know, touch wood, it, it goes ahead. But if you're mm-hmm. being realistic, it, they're still kind of in limbo. So do you know how she's sort of mm-hmm. going with preparation and, and the mindset with them sort of being up in the air a little bit? Yeah, so she she's still going along with her training regime. She's working really hard. Um, when the COVID crisis happened, it was... It was disappointing that she wasn't going to be going ahead 
straight away and going on to Tokyo. Um, there was a little bit of stress there for a while, wondering if she would have to re-qualify and go through the process again until they announced that no, they wouldn't need to do that and that Which is she fair. would go ahead anyway. Yeah. Right. Um, so then we got, you know, she just sort of changed her attitude about it and went, well, you know what, we, now we have an extra 12 months to prepare and get ready. So mm-hmm. she's working hard and until things open up and clear up a little bit more, she's in Brisbane, so she's enjoying being at home, which is not so often that she gets to stay home for an extended period of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she'll be in Brisbane training until they give the all clear to go back to the AIS in Canberra and she'll continue her training there. And then I suppose once international travel opens up again, she'll be she'll be jet setting once again. Yeah, that's awesome. I I was saying to you just before we, we started recording, like I I watched Sky uh, compete in the Gold Coast two years ago. Not not in person, mm-hmm. but I did I do remember watching it on television. Um, again, uh-huh. listeners will know that that Trent and I, my my co-host, we uh, we spent the two weeks on the Gold Coast for the games and. And went to a lot, a lot, a lot of sports. And unfortunately, boxing wasn't one of them. But yeah, I remember yeah. watching Sky, you know, get a gold medal and, and you know, started following her on Instagram and everything at the time and have, have sort of kept on top of of how things are going with us. So, you know, while while mm-hmm. she's stuck in Brisbane, if, you, if you're chatting to her, if she wants to <laughs> kill some time and catch up with some lonely podcasters, she's more than welcome on the show. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to and, and pass on our best know. wishes as well because, you know, I mean, yeah. all the Aussie athletes have... Have you know? It, it's it's one thing to qualify for an Olympics, uh, but then to mm-hmm. to face the challenges that all of them are facing, and not just the Aussies, but obviously we focus on them. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, with with what's happened and and COVID and everything, I, I can't imagine it's easy because this is their life. And you know, I mean, mm-hmm. my my wife is a, an opera singer; it's a profession, and and she doesn't have mm-hmm. her job at the moment. And and you know, it's kind of the same for athletes; they can't do what they love to do and what they spend so much time doing. And my, my heart really does go out to them, but it is good to hear mm-hmm. that she's, you know, she's keeping on top of things and, and having a positive attitude. Yeah, no, it's good. And, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happened. We came home from the US, my husband and two boys, we all came along and supported her on the Gold Coast, which was pretty special for the Commonwealth Games to be in her hometown as well. And Jamie was actually a bronze medalist at the Commonwealth uh, in 92 as well. So she's definitely following <laughs> Jamie on every path. Um, yeah, I, I, I yeah. do remember seeing a lot of um, <laughs> kind of like, uh, what, what would you sort of call them? Like, you know, features that Channel 7 would show and everything along with the Com uh-huh. games that, that kind of, and, you know, that's when I first learned about obviously her, but then the the tragic story with her older brothers who, who she never met. And, mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's such a sad story. But at the same time, like there's been so many, positives I guess is kind of the mm-hmm. word to use that, that yeah. have also sprung from it like you know with Sky coming along and and taking up the mantle and and you know to bring it full circle mm-hmm. you being able to carry the torch 20 years ago and and you know it's your family is is yeah. although very unlucky is also very incredibly lucky with the the success that you've had and, and looks like you're going to continue mm-hmm. having with Sky. Yeah that's right it's pretty magical and uh, now I have three boys of my own. There's a little pressure there <laughs> for them to perform in the coming years. And, and, and <laughs> what keep it in the family? <laughs> what country would they be representing if they were to compete? <laughs> uh, 
Oh, well, two of them are Australian and one is a is American. So, but he will be Australian too. So, Australia is always going to be home. And yeah, full. excellent. <laughs> that's that's what we want to hear. That's what we want to hear. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Look, hey, I, I won't take up any more of your time. I I do really appreciate you joining me, and uh, and and the listeners, I'm sure, will appreciate the insight to to being able to carry hearing what you went through carrying the torch 20 years ago and. It's hard to believe it's been 20 years, hey? It's, it's kind of scary. <laughs> it, it is really scary because that's, you know, showing age too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and like I said, you know, when we're teenagers, you know, 13, 16, time goes mm-hmm. kind of slowly and you don't think about your morality. But when you sort of get to your 30s, uh-huh. you're kind of like, oh, crap. <laughs> this was 20 years yeah. ago. It feels like it was five. Yeah, it is. It's scary. <laughs> <laughs> look, thanks so much again for joining us. And uh, look, like I said, um, you know, hopefully one day we can talk to your sister and have her on the show as well, and, and hear about her journey. And hopefully, in in a little over twelve months' time, she'll she'll come back a an Olympic medalist, and you know, hopefully yeah. we might be able to talk to her then as well. So, thanks so much, and and, so. and and you you enjoy the rest of your night over in in America. Thanks, Brendan. I appreciate it. So we have it, Sky mm. Nicholson. <laughs> what did you think of that one? Oh, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that one too. Um, you know, it was good to hear about her experiences as a teenager, you know, carrying the flame. And you, you'd think all exactly what she was saying. Oh, yeah, I've done my bit, you know. Yeah. next, <laughs> next what, What's next for me for the day? Yeah. Which nice. is, And then, like, yeah, and her insights with what's going on with Sky getting ready for next year. Such like, an amazing story yeah, to their family, I exactly think. Exactly, like the, the legacy that's there in their family and, you know, Sky not having met her brothers but, you know, continuing on the sporting legacy in their family. And, you know, it's great that she qualified and everything because I think the boxing tournament that they were at, her uh, Sky and the rest of the team, was actually one of the last qualifying events anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm before everything was shut down and, you know, there was no more qualifying events and that's when Olympic athletes were going, well, how are we going to qualify Yeah, if we, for, for no July? Events, and that yeah. was like one of the last ones. I think there was a, a boxing one um, for Europe in London mm-hmm. um, and it was like done with no crowds or anything like that and then that that was it for the world. So, yeah. like, she just snuck in there and, like, but, you know, and then the rest of the world was, like, going, oh, how are we going <laughs> to get there in July when we can't qualify anywhere? So, that was a really good insight to, to hear. I enjoyed that. Yeah, excellent. Well, we've got one more interview for you and uh, that is with uh, the the Ellis men who I mentioned earlier, so Michael and David, who are a father and son duo who got to carry the torch on the same day um, in their local area. And uh, we'll, we'll hear their story now. Now I'm joined by Michael and David Ellis, a father and son duo who both run with the torch on its way to Sydney in 2000. Uh, we're going to hear their story now. Welcome, Michael and David, to the Sitting on Your Rings podcast. How are you going? Yeah, good, Brendan. Thank you very much for having us on. Not a worry. Now, that's David's voice I'm hearing at the moment, isn't it? Yes, it is. Cool. It's the younger, Excellent. one. And, and, <laughs> and David's there as well? Yes, uh, Michael. Yes, my father, Michael. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Mike. Michael's there as well, yeah? 
Yeah, no, I am, Brendan. Thank there you. you are. There we can hear you. Awesome. So this is a bit of a, a, an interesting situation, whereas father and son, but you ran, from what I can gather, in different locations. So I guess the first question I have for both of you is your nomination. Like, do you know what, what sort of how that came about or who nominated you and, and the reason and why you guys were nominated to run with the flame? Well, we live in a small community and people of Smysdale um, and surrounding districts nominated me mm-hmm. and um, that was probably due to the fact of all the work I did for their kids with sport and things like that. I was, I'm a local teacher or was a local teacher. Okay. And so um, yeah, there was heaps of things that were done, probably because I had seven kids as well. Right. We had to make sure that... <laughs> Too many. We had to make sure that uh, there was sport for the kids in our local area. Yeah. So we made sure we had cricket and footy and netball and all that for the, the younger ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, my nomination, yes, my nomination probably stemmed from, I was only 19 at the time, but I was doing a fair bit of work with a local youth group. Okay. Really trying to focus on improving opportunities and services for the for myself included. So I was still in that age category, but sort of looking at um, skate parks and just things for the kids to do in the local area and just hanging around and loitering. Excellent. Okay, cool. And and how did you guys both feel when you found out you were running and particularly when you kind of made the connection that, hey, you know, <laughs> father and son, you're both going to be running with the Olympic flame. Like when your nomination was approved, how did that feel? Well, Dad sort of found out a lot earlier than I did. So when the, I didn't even realise I was nominated, but the process sort of all happened. It would have been only a couple of weeks before the actual torture LA um, started that I found out because I think they did the numbers and realised they had a bit extra time and a few extra torches developed and they added legs oh, onto nice. the end of some of the some of the stages. So it was sort of a bit of a, a shock because I thought it was all done and dusted. He was an interchange player. <laughs> <laughs> You're on the bench and got the call up ready to come in. <laughs> yeah, I, I can remember seeing back in the day, you know, I can't believe it's been 20 years, but, you know, there used to be footage of people, you know, with sort of your yeah, empty soft drink bottles, you know, filled with water training for the run. Did either of you do any any training for the, the legs that you were running? Because a couple of hundred <laughs> metres, so. Uh, we're both um, got a fairly strong background in running. So I think I was actually out running the day that I got the phone call. I just walked back in the door and mum said there was someone from the um, Sydney Olympic Committee on the phone that wanted to talk to me. So I was already out training before I even knew it. Oh, wow. So when you got that call, did you have any idea what it was about or were you completely clueless? Oh, completely clueless. But I guess after they sort of mentioned or mum mentioned where they were from, it sort of it's pretty easy to work out. I wasn't quite qualifying for the marathon, unfortunately, so <laughs> <laughs> it had to be had to be something to do with the torch, really. Excellent. Okay. So it was a local two local policemen were the ones who nominated David. Oh right. Because they were heavily involved with the youth group as well, so yeah, it was pretty important, really, and and uh, yeah, great thing. That's excellent. And now, now, do you guys remember? Um, the day, like sort of the dates and the locations that you ran? Yes, yeah, so I did a little bit of research last night and tried to find a bit more of it. It was um, July 21st, it was day 44 in right. Australia. Yep. And I ran in a town called Polak, which is about an hour from where we live. Mm-hmm. And so that was the start of the Port Relay for the day. And I ran the final leg out of Polak, so sort of leaving the town. So 
I remember it pretty well. It was a pretty, pretty freezing day, July 21st in Victoria. It's um, yeah. one of the coldest days we've come across. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, and it started really early. So I think it was a 7.15 or 7.30 start from the, the relighting of the torching Polak. Mm-hmm. And we had to be there before 6 o'clock in the morning to sort of go through the briefing and get our uniforms and torches and tell us how to make sure the gas was on. That was a very cold, dark and early start. It's not very easy. exciting. Not easy when it's that cold to get out of bed that early. Even for, <laughs> no, even for the Olympic it. torch. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Michael? Um, yeah, I ran into Rang, which is probably 100 kilometres across from um, Colac, but about the same distance from home. Okay. It's sort of a triangle, if you can imagine what I mean. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was later in the day, and it was. I was really stoked to do it. Uh, there were a few people drove up to watch us do it, which made me feel that, you know, even more appreciated because it was a big day for them to actually drive 100 or so kilometres there and back mm. to watch me run. And so, um, yeah, one of the um, yeah, highlights of my life. That's awesome. Because I was actually going to ask what the mood was like on the day. So, um, David, what was what you know? What was the mood for you? Was it, it was separate? Was it different days that you carried, or the same day? Uh, same day. So same I think days, I was leg, locations. I was leg fifteen on the day, and Dad was leg sixty-three. Okay. So Excellent. it was on the same day. So we sort of um, some people got up nice and early and made it up to see me, but a few more came up a bit later because. The one o'clock in the afternoon was more appealing than the seven thirty. <laughs> I can in the imagine. Morning. Excellent. Yeah, look, I know. I ended know up on a bus, Brendan, uh, dropping us off at certain points. Uh-huh. You got to meet other people, young, younger people, and older people, and got to hear their stories as well. Yeah. Um, about you know, how they think they managed to end up running the torch and the things that they'd done mm-hmm. and what it meant to them, and that was a you know a pretty. Uh, Pretty special part of the day as well, really. Well, yeah, like I, I, I can't remember the exact number, but I know how they planned the torch relay. It was, it was no further than I think it was ninety minutes drive from sort of any one part of the country. So they made it very accessible, and and you know, like you were saying, you had friends and relatives, you know, that tr- travelled a hundred k to come and see it. And that was the beauty of the torch relay yeah. is it is it allowed everyone, like everyone to feel that Olympic spirit and, and even, you know, if it's just to watch someone run past for 10 seconds carrying the torch, you felt part of it. Yeah. Like we um, obviously got to enjoy it on the day, but the next day we went back up and saw it in a town called Ararat because we yeah. knew a couple of people that were running it up in up there and then it came back through Ballarat, which is our closest city. It's only 20 minutes from home. And so we went so we just knew a lot more people and we knew it would be a big sort of fanfare and festivities just being in that bigger town. So we sort of enjoyed it for three days. Oh, that's that. awesome. 100 days. Now, no, I, again, I know it's been 20 years, so the memory might be, you know, a little bit hazy, but can you talk us through the, like, through the run? Like, do you remember who handed it to you, who you handed it off to, what your couple of hundred metres was like, the feeling you guys had, everything that yeah. you can remember to talk. Tell us all about it. Yeah, look, it's um, quite easy to remember that, to be honest, because um, just, you, you just remember it because it's so exciting and just to yeah. be a part of such an event. And um, I hand, the person that handed it to me, because I was the last leg out of Colac, so the person that handed me, John Patch, 
he actually um, has a fair bit of running and I sort of knew him through running already. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit older, but it was sort of nice to get it handed handed on from someone that even though we don't live in the same town, we sort of knew who he was and his background. Yeah. Um, as I said, it was freezing cold, very windy. It was on a bit of a, an uphill out of town, sort of a few farmhouses around. It wasn't really in the town any longer. But um, it was interesting because the flame actually went out on the handover. Oh, no. And so I sort of panicked a little bit thinking, okay, what happens here? But the escort said they've got a – they had two flames. There's an eternal flame that kept burning the whole time in the back of the escort van. Uh-huh. And there was a secondary, secondary one which the last runner of each leg would reignite. Yep. So when it went out, had to go around to the van and go through the process of getting the torch relit. <laughs> that sort of um, – it added a bit of um, interest to my leg and a bit of extra time spent. I was going to say, a bit, a bit of extra time. It's not the worst thing in the world. It was. It was. It was um, at the time, it was a bit of, oh, no, what's happened? I knew it went out a couple of times previously in other towns that didn't know yeah. what the background was and how they accounted for that. But it's only five or 600 metres of the leg and there was a, a young girl that – was the escort because every runner had an escort yeah got nominated as well and um yeah they had a few other runners oh, a couple of police um got escorts as well that were sort of running along in front i remember the police and, and the um, harleys were always very popular yeah so there's always something going on but it was as i'd said it was nice to sort of had i had my um nan there his mother um, she was in a wheelchair, so it took a bit of work to get her sort of around for the day. But we had some aunties and uncles come along as well, and our big family, as Dad said, with all the other other kids from our family. So it was it was a really nice feeling, sort of running and having those people um, cheer and support you. And um, but yeah, it was just that sort of bit of a surreal feeling. And getting back on the bus after final leg, everyone cheering and clapping, and it just it just felt so good. I guess it's just very exciting. Everyone was just um, so thrilled to be part of it. That's awesome. And how about you, Michael? And, um, I was going to mention too, Brendan Colac is not a long way from Beach Forest where Cliffy Young oh, came yeah. from. Do you remember the name Cliff Young? Yeah, it rings a bell. Ultra, ultra marathon runner. Uh-huh. And I suppose I think it was an older gentleman that handed it to me, and I wasn't that young at the time anyway. I was 45, and um, I handed it on to an older gentleman. And so um, there was no hiccups like David's. I, I would expect something like that to happen to him, but mine went very smoothly. Um, I remember the escorts, there were four, weren't there, David, or not? Yeah, there's two in front. And um, 500 metres, I think it was, or less, went very, very quickly mm. because, um, as David mentioned, we always did a bit of running. And so um, I probably could have sprinted that far. <laughs> and, um, yeah, look, it was just a great feeling. And as David said, you get back on the bus and everyone was so excited, just excited for themselves and excited for everyone else. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I ran toward terrain. So I was on the outskirts mm-hmm. running in. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I think just being able to um, purchase the torch because the process of them taking out the live gas and putting in the – the empty gas cylinder and handing it over officially to you to say this is yours and this is your your token of memorabilia for the rest of your life. I think that was just a good way to finish the day as well. Like, well you know just, what, that's, um, that leads perfectly into my next question actually because it was, I was going to ask, did you guys keep your torches and if so, like, you know, where do you have them today? Just, 
Oh, you nice. see them? I, I can actually got them both there. That's a nice bed. So they have place in the living room. In my or? role of teaching, Brendan, each time the Olympics have come around, I've gone around the four campuses of Wodialic and showed the kids the, the torch and what it looked like when it was carried in the year 2000 mm. and talked about, you know, community involvement and how there can be paybacks and, you know, it's great. Great yeah. for kids to learn about. I remember at Smysdale, uh, 2004 it might have been, had a mini Olympics, actually let the kids run around the oval carrying the torch. <laughs> that would have loved, <laughs> loved it. Because it's amazing. Like I was doing some research like back in 2000 for the runners, it was only like it was less than $400 to, to buy the torch yeah, after it was all said and done. Yeah. And actually, remember, it was when GST came in. So if you ran after July 1st, it was, you know, that 10% more expensive. But, <laughs> but uh, I mean, you know, they go for thousands of dollars on eBay these days. It's still it's still the, the one Sydney collectible that I haven't got that I would love to get one day as a torch. But, I mean, they're just such a beautiful piece 10, of 10,000. 10,000. I'll have to talk to the wife and see what she says. <laughs> but no, so you, you've got them, so you have them on display, like, in, you know, in a living room um, or family room or something, or do you keep mine them in storage? Mine sits in a little holder mm-hmm. in one of the bedrooms. Yeah, David's just parcelled up because he sort of likes to travel around Australia a little bit and then return home. Mm-hmm. Keep it safe. Yeah, keep it safe. I think at some stage I'd like to, because I've got the uniform as well still away, so I'd like to one day put into a display case with the shorts and the shirt and the torch yeah. next to it. Yeah, I do. Photo, I do so. have a. I do have a relay runner shirt that was a little bit less expensive than the than the couple of thousand for the torch. I think it only cost about thirty bucks. But I was, I was surprised that some people didn't actually buy the torch. And I know four hundred bucks sounds like a lot of money to some people, but I'm sure they're kicking themselves now that they didn't actually purchase it. Oh yeah, I mean, I was I um. I rewatched. Uh, I know every state did their own version of it, but they had sort of the follow the flame television show when it was in each state. And I was I, I recorded the the six nights of the Queensland um, journey and was rewatching it last week um, on the twentieth anniversary. And, and they were talking about a day where um, it was one of the swimming coaches got to run two legs because the person one person didn't show up, and they called them, <laughs> and they were overseas. And it's just like. Oh. Oh my god! Wow. <laughs> like, you could have run with the Olympic flame. It's amazing. Uh, priorities, I guess. Yeah. So <laughs> once in a lifetime experience. Exactly. So on on the night of the opening ceremony, September fifteenth in in two thousand, I'm I'm guessing you guys, along with the rest of the country, watched the opening ceremony. Um, so did. seeing Kathy light the light the cauldron, how did it feel? Like, did it have a bit more of a special feeling to you, knowing that? in some small way you helped it get to her in Stadium Australia? Did you feel sort of yeah, a connection uh, to it? Uh, a little bit, but I think that um, that whole environment's much bigger than us as individuals. So just sort of watching that final part where the torch was brought into the stadium and knowing that Kathy was probably going to be the person to light it, just the way they went about it, I think that was just much bigger than what we could ever imagine being part of. So I think you just enjoyed it for what it was and deep down I'm sure, okay, yeah, we were part of the 11,000 people that ran it in Australia and all that ran it overseas from 
Athens that um, I just think that whole spectacle is just amazing and I don't think, yeah, it wouldn't have mattered if I'd ran with the torch or not. It would have been an amazing feeling. And you with the rest we of the We were pretty country. lucky, Brendan. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Brendan. No, uh, we were say. pretty lucky as a family. Yeah. Um, we, um, we ran with the club called Ballarat YCW. Uh-huh. And you had the likes of Steve Monaghetti and, and many others who'd represented their country and their state or whatever in events. And so you got to meet a lot of the people who were involved at that level. Yeah. And so that sort of allowed us to relate on a different plane as well. Yeah. So, yeah, so we got pretty special. We're watching people like Shane Nanker, which I'm pretty sure he's another YCW runner. He ran, he ran the 2000 Olympics, I think. Big Troop, he was a Ballarat Harriet. So there's a lot of Ballarat runners that had represented Australia that we always followed. Just say the one thing that did connect us all on the opening ceremony, I'm sure, was everyone sort of holding their breath and praying when that cauldron faltered for that couple of minutes. <laughs> didn't want to go up yeah. to the top of the stage. Didn't, didn't want to go up. <laughs> <laughs> I think that added, added to the suspense, didn't it? Kathy under the water getting wet and the cauldron getting stuck halfway up. Unbelievable. Well, it was actually, you know, it was a bit of a bit of a tricky flame the whole way along because I don't know if you guys remember but for the lighting ceremony in um, Olympia too the flame wouldn't light because the it was a cloudy day so they had to use the flame they lit in the rehearsal the day before as the official flame because yeah it wouldn't start and then you had it go out on you and <laughs> Kathy had the cauldron problem. Yeah, but, uh, at least they, they worked their way through it and it turned out to be a the best Olympics ever, not just because it was in Australia, but just the way it was ran. Yeah, which again, you're, you're segueing into my questions beautifully because my my last question is is you know it, again, it's been your 20 years, which is really hard to believe. But what what was your favourite memory of the games overall? Like, did you have a sporting highlight or, or something from those 16 days that really stands out in your mind? I think it's always. I'm probably just been replayed so many times. It's always hard to go past Kathy Freeman's 400 meter win. You stole mine. Just running in, running in that suit. It's the whole build up to it and the pressure on her. Oh, Being it's like playing so many different sports growing up, you understand the type of pressure some people face, but not to that extent when you've got the whole country and the whole world sort of with those expectations that you're going to win, but knowing that there's still people good enough to beat you on the day. So. I think for her to come out and win like she did, yeah, it was amazing. One of the best things I've ever seen ever in sport. Yeah, it was amazing. It's and it's true. Like it, when you look back, I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but there was already so much pressure on that poor woman's shoulders, and then lighting the cauldron really only added to that. I mean the bravery of her to agree to do it in the first place was amazing because, I mean, it, it does. It just added expectation. And then, you know, the whole Mary Jose Parekh thing, but then she got the the irrits and left the country and that was whole drama yeah. again. And it was just, it was crazy. Yeah, the amount of pressure on it was insane. No, to come through it unscathed was amazing. Yeah. Well, guys, look, that's all That's all the questions I've got for you. I, I'm... I'm Glad you were able to, to make this happen today and, and glad a, a mutual friend and one of your relatives sort of put us in touch with each other. So any other things that you want to sort of say before we sign off? Any other, you know, Olympic memories that you may have or, you know, inspiring words that you can give to people to, you know, because there is talk maybe Brisbane 2032 if people are looking to to get involved with the Torch Relay, what they need to do to in their communities to maybe get that nod? 
I think you're right. It's just um, like just how you can contribute to society, and it's just nice to sort of see people rewarded for um, what they've done to help other people. Because a lot of people can sometimes be so wound up in their own lives and not realise that just by doing something small, by volunteering for a sporting club or just helping out um, other groups, that there are other things that you can benefit from. It's just a matter of just helping people out and other people reward you through nominating you for, for these type of events, which is a nice sort of uh, recognition, I guess, for the time that people send because volunteering is such a big part of Australia. Without yeah. it, and you can sort of see the last three months that that lack of community. Well, it's not a lack of community; everyone's there for each other. But there just hasn't been that same connection mm-hmm. that um, we're so used of in our society. Yeah, very true. Yeah, with regards with regards volunteering, like carrying the torch was great. It may have been a reward for a lot of hard work, but rewards happen every time you put yourself out there and do something for other people. Mm-hmm. I still have kids come up to me. 20 years down the track and say, oh, I remember when you were my footy coach in the under-12s and we had a great time and we did this and we did that. That's pretty special. Awesome. Can't get anything more special than that. Yeah, no, that, that's wonderful advice. So, look, Michael and David, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and, and sharing your story today. I'm sure our listeners loved it. And... Uh, I certainly had a good time <laughs> hearing your stories. And again, it was just a, something unique that a, a father and son got to run on the same day. And the only thing that could have made it more perfect is if you handed off to each other. But, ah, well. <laughs> Next time. Yeah. You yep. probably would have ran past me and kept going. Probably. <laughs> 2032, fingers crossed, you might get the call up again. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank no you very much, Brendan, for having me on the show. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again, hopefully, one day. Take care, hey. Sounds like an idea. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 You love this song, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that was Michael and David. So thank you so much, guys. That was, uh, again, very insightful, like all the other um, interviews we've we've heard today. So any comments you want to make on that one, buddy? Yeah, yeah, just as you said, like I really enjoyed the insight with that and uh, just like thinking in my mind, uh, like what it would have been like the worst thing that could happen, the thing that you would never want to happen, the flame flame going going out. out, And you're one of the people... (laughs) You know, it probably didn't go out very much along that leg at all, and you're the person that had it go out. So that's quite a unique thing that you got for yeah. a person to come I on there that I they loved, were. I loved his dad hanging shit on him for it too. Yeah. That's, that's really funny. But no, look, it was it was a pleasure to um, to talk to all um, all four of of our guests for that. So it it was really it was actually more than what I expected to to get mm. um, when I put the call out. But to 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 speak to four people from four very different walks of life mm. and you know they all got to carry the torch it was um pretty phenomenal stuff mm. so you know i don't want to you know blow smoke up my own bum but <laughs> it was it was a absolutely really, yeah it was a really fun day getting to hear all those stories and and be able to share it with all the listeners and stuff so i hope i hope everyone enjoys hearing them as much as i enjoyed recording mm. them so mm. yeah, yeah. No, you got like some great interviews there i was really enjoyed hearing it for the first time was going there would have been so many questions I would have asked. They probably yeah. would have been much longer than they actually were. You know, listening to something, I was thinking like, you know, say Brisbane 2032 happens. I'm like, 
does doing an Olympic podcast count? Um, is that enough? <laughs> That's what was going through my mind sitting there going, we're in the community. Is that we're, enough to get us over the line? We're serving the community. <laughs> All our listeners can nominate us. I mean, look, I volunteer for the Brisbane Bullets, so mm. I'm just saying. Like, yeah. <laughs> could you imagine, though, if, if, you know, if we got... To, the nod and we got to hand off to each other or something. <laughs> uh, I guess the smiles on our faces, but reality, you know, how good would, would that be? Yeah. <laughs> Never going to happen, no, but no. still, <laughs> it's, it's nice to dream. Yeah. We well, can dare to dream, Brendan. We, well, well done there. You can dare to dream. <laughs> Look, I, I don't really have anything else to cover on this episode. We've, we've um, something I just do quickly want to say, and Lionel Dele is happy Olympic Day. Happy Olympic Day for yesterday. Yes, yes. it was yesterday. Happy Olympic Day. And, uh, you know, I had a great day following all the, like, Olympic socials. So many athletes, and, mm-hmm. like, especially in the Australian team, it was a really good day. You know, a lot of people, you know, a bit of, you know, in the crazy time, I had, like, a lot of, you know, knowing that, in a month's time it would have been happening but yeah everyone you know is looking forward towards next year mm-hmm. hopefully and being able to continue their journey then but it was a, a good day to show in the world in australia and the world coming together and trying to do their best with mm. what's gone on this year but a great day to celebrate i think because oh, you know sport does unite the world like that and it'll if you know it, it, if it all goes ahead next year it'll be a very very special and important games reuniting the yeah, world. Yeah, I uh, I got I tuned in a little bit to the the live stream event that they did around lunchtime yesterday with Mark Beretta and he had Thorpe in the studio and, and they were talking to a few athletes here and there. But that's while I was working from home, so mm. I was sort of like tuning in, tuning in and tuning out. But yeah, I, I, I thank, got to see a little bit of a repeat. Of that. I got to watch on the train on the way home. Oh, nice, yeah. cool. But uh, yeah, no, I totally forgot to mention that. Yeah, yesterday was Olympic Day. Well, yeah. well done. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I guess that's where we're going to leave things uh, for this episode of the Sitting on a Rings podcast. Uh, I'm just going to put up the, the music here a little bit. The one <laughs> just don't sing for a little bit. Um, I'll ch- turn Boo. your mic down. You can go nuts. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, you know, guys, don't forget, you can follow us on social media on Twitter at S-O-O-R podcast and facebook.com slash S-O-O-R podcast. And, of course, there's the website, sittingonourrings.podbean.com. Um, on behalf of Trent, I've been Brendan. And once again, thank you so much to uh, all our guests who, who shared out their memories about the Torch Relay. And until next time, keep the Olympic flame shining. <laughs> <laughs>